You may be seated, church. Thank you so, so much for being here to worship with us today. This is the highest day of the Christian calendar. I know a lot of people like Christmas because it gets all the press, because, frankly, we can market it because we're a consumeristic culture, but Christmas is not the high day of the Christian calendar. Resurrection Sunday morning is the high day of the Christian calendar. And so I am glad that you are here this morning. I'm glad that you've chosen to worship with us. Do remember that we are open on Sundays besides Christmas and Easter, just just to put that plug out there as well. But there is a tradition that has been firmly established in Christian history, and it often happens where with pastors and congregations on Easter Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday morning, and it's kind of a call and response thing. So I'm going to say to you, He is risen... And you're going to reply back to me, he is risen indeed. Okay, you think we can handle that? I think it's it's even on the screen, so we got to be able to handle that this morning. All right? Let's try this this morning. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Thank you, guys. He is indeed risen. That's where our hope is. That's where our power is. I want to say to you this morning, if you're just checking this church out, maybe you came by here because you just needed some place to worship on Easter Sunday morning, we're really glad you're here. You've probably heard a lot of things about Rushwood. I hear a lot of things about Rushwood when I'm out in the community. Let me tell you what our church is. Our church is a church that does things sometimes in a modern way. We have a lot of modern elements to our church. One of the reasons for that is I don't want to see this generation go to hell. While I'm sitting around doing my old traditional thing that makes me feel comfortable and the way I grew up, I don't want to see this generation go to hell just so I can feel comfortable. So that's one of the reasons that our church does things in a modern way. But don't let that fool you. We do not compromise on the Word of God. We believe the Word of God. We preach the Word of God. I have people tell me sometimes, Pastor Brent, I can't believe you preach on that. I can't believe you touch on that subject. Well, I want to preach the whole Word of God. I want to preach the whole counsel of God to you because one day I'm going to give an account to Him for what I have preached, what I have taught. And so I want to preach everything to you. Yes, we want to be a people of love, but we also want to balance that out with being a people of truth. And so that's what we try to be here. A modern church, we call ourselves sometimes a modern holiness church. Holiness is not necessarily found in the things that we wear. It's not necessarily uh, found in the exact way that we worship. Holiness is found in a transformed heart that loves God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loves our neighbor as ourselves. That's really what holiness is all about, being set apart for God. And so that's what our church is all about. We're not like, I don't know very many churches exactly like us, but that's okay. I would rather stand out than to try to fit in. I'd rather be the original rather than a copy sometimes. So that's who we are. Glad you're here. If you, if you're looking for a church home, we hope that you found one. Please come back. Please be part of our church family here. We got baptism coming up. We've got one young man who's going to be baptized in this service, and I am so glad for him. And uh, by the way, if any of you are, are here today and you know Jesus and you've not been baptized, I'm going to go ahead and tell you we're going to give you the opportunity. If you want to join in the baptismal service today, you're welcome to come and join in. It would not be the first time that we had somebody be baptized in their church clothes. 
And I promise you they'll dry out, and I promise you you'll never regret it. So if you're here and you've never been baptized and you feel like, you know what, I want to go public with my faith today, when I call this young man up, you're welcome to join him and become part of this baptismal service. You may not have planned that today, but maybe God planned that. So we're just putting that out there so you know that ahead of time. But we've got to get there. We've, we've got a lot to do as far as getting to the baptismal service and getting that done. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a shorter sermon today, and we need to dive right into that. John chapter 19, verses 31 through 34. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible, which is pretty much the most accurate word-for-word translation of God's Word. John chapter 19 in English. John chapter 19, verses 31 through 34 says this. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and then the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus when they saw he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. Moving down to verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Beginning in John chapter 20 and verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, that Sunday, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. They were running together and the other disciple, by the way, the other disciple here is John, the beloved, the one who is actually writing this. The other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and he saw and believed. Man, that's the key to the whole thing. What do we believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do we believe that he rose up out of that grave? I think if you saw Julia's shirt over here this morning, it said, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, the tomb was empty. By the way, man, I love when Julia gets excited when we're up here singing. I love when she jumps up and down and is 
And if you know her, you know that is not a put on and that is not for show or attention. That's because she loves the Lord Jesus Christ and she wants to be excited about him and she wants to worship and praise him. And I've always heard that excitement, enthusiasm is contagious. So I hope that's true because I think we ought to be enthusiastic about our Lord. If somebody were to come in here off the street and see how we worship on a Sunday morning, it would tell them a lot about what we really believe. If we just sit there acting like we're dead and acting like it doesn't matter to us, they're going to say they don't even believe it. But if we're acting like somebody who's saying, I'm praising the Lord with all I've got, then they're going to look and they're going to say, God is really among you. That's another little sermon there for you. But we should be excited. And spoiler alert, the tomb was empty. The tomb is still empty. Jesus is alive. On Resurrection Sunday morning, the disciples, though, they did not know for sure that Jesus was risen indeed. We have the benefit of being on the other side of the event. Jesus had told them if they had cared to listen, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. But when Mary Magdalene found the tomb empty on Resurrection Sunday morning, she didn't immediately think Jesus was risen. She thought somebody had stolen his body. Her mind went to a natural explanation. It went to what most people would say was a logical explanation. But two of the disciples named Peter and John ran to see for themselves. Uh, one of my favorite paintings, you guys know that know me know I have an art background. One of my favorite paintings I only discovered a couple of years ago. It was by a French illustrator and it's of John and Peter running to the tomb on Resurrection Sunday morning. Man, that's an awesome painting. I don't know how much you know about art. A good artist can depict a face. A good artist can depict a likeness. But it takes a great artist to depict emotion in that face and emotion in that likeness. And here we clearly see the emotion that these two disciples are feeling on Resurrection Sunday morning as they're running to the tomb, hearing that it's empty, wondering, is Jesus really alive? Did he really rise up out of that grave like he said that he was going to? And so these two men, they're very interesting actually in the Bible story. In the story that's told in the Gospels, these two guys, John and Peter, were part of Jesus' inner circle. Along with James, they were the three that would come apart and they would actually come away from the other disciples and they kind of formed the core of Jesus' team of disciples. And so these guys were very, very close to him. The first one that I want to look at is John. Let's put his face up a little bigger from the picture. John was Jesus' youngest disciple, but he would live to be Jesus' oldest disciple. He was the only one, he has two amazing distinctions about him, he was the only one who died of natural causes. All the other disciples, excluding Judas, laid down their life as martyrs. People actually killed them because of what they believed about Jesus. But John actually lived to the age, we believe, of somewhere around 100 or 101 years old. Exiled to the Isle of Patmos. There Jesus appears again and gives him the book of Revelation. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. A very important disciple. He was actually a cousin of Jesus. He was related to Jesus through Mary. And so he actually was a relative of Jesus. And I believe if I read the Bible right, he was Jesus' best friend. I believe he was closer, John was closer to Jesus than anyone else. 
In fact, at the Last Supper, we see that John was leaning up against the chest of Jesus as they were there at the Last Supper because they would actually, what you've seen Leonardo da Vinci paint is wrong. They would have actually been reclining there at the table. That's how they used to eat in the ancient Near East. And as he was reclining at the table, he was there kind of scooted up against Jesus. They were that close. They were that good of friends. And I've always said it's amazing that as John leaned against Jesus, he could hear the heartbeat of God. He could literally hear God's heartbeat. That's how close they were. John also has another distinction. He was the only disciple who went all the way to the cross with Jesus. He was there at the foot of the cross. He made it there and he saw his Lord crucified over six hours on that Good Friday. Jesus looked down at John and and he looked down at his mother Mary and he said, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. Basically saying, John, when I'm gone, you're to take care of my mom. You're to take, you're to treat her as if she is your own mother. And so a guy who loved Jesus, I believe he loved Jesus so much, he calls himself in the Bible the disciple that Jesus loved. And we could take that as, oh, John was bragging. He thinks that Jesus loved him more than the other disciples. I don't think that's what that's all about. I think when John says, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved, what he meant was, I just cannot get over the fact that the God of the universe, God made flesh, loved even me. Even me, even a person like me, Jesus loved me, and that defined his entire life. In fact, when John got very old, in his 90s, and even maybe approaching the 100-year mark, he would come into the church at Ephesus there where he lived, And he would often preach sermons. Maybe he was the fill-in for the pastor who had to be gone that week. But they said there was only one sermon at the end of his life that John preached. And that sermon was, little children love one another because love is for God, from God. He was a disciple who was all about loving Jesus and loving other people. And I love how this illustrator captures this emotion. His hands clasp, almost like he's praying. He's wanting to know, is my faith in vain? Have I placed my faith in the wrong person? Or is my best friend out of this grave? Is the Lord of my life coming forth victorious? And you can just see the emotion on his face as and you see morning breaking behind him as the light of day is starting to come up. Is my Christianity, is my faith in vain, or have I really believed the right thing? Could it be, can it be, that Jesus is raised from the dead? The other disciple was a guy named Peter. And if you read anything about Peter, you know he was a spokesperson for the disciple, disciples, and he often put his foot in his mouth. He often spoke out of turn. He often was very bold and very impetuous, a, a fisherman, Probably a very strong man, probably a a, a very tough character. And he would always speak up, and sometimes Jesus had to rebuke him. One of the things we know about Peter was twice Jesus had to call him Satan. And that's not a good thing when Jesus has to turn to you and call you Satan because of some of the dumb things that he would say. And yet he was a man who never stopped repenting. He's kind of like David in the Old Testament. He made his mistakes, but he would always repent and he would always come back to Jesus Christ. But here, on, there, during this weekend, during Holy, the Holy Weekend, during uh, Good Friday, actually, Jesus had told him at the Last Supper, look, because he, he said, look, Lord, I'll go with you all the way. Everybody else may desert you, but not me. I'm going to go all the way with you. I will never desert you. And Jesus said, look, you don't know yourself three times before the cock crows this morning. You're going to deny me. 
And he did exactly what Jesus had predicted. He denied his Lord. He denied his Savior. And so here's Peter, who was probably the chief among all the disciples. He's failed. Three times he's denied his Lord. He's turned away from him. He, out of fear, out of trying to protect himself. And if Jesus is still dead, then there's no salvation for Peter. He'll never be forgiven. He'll never hear. He'll never be reestablished as a disciple. He will always carry the guilt of what he did for the rest of his life. And I love the way the artist has captured in his eyes. You can almost see tears in his eyes where he's just so hopeful and at the same time so afraid. He's hopeful that Jesus is really raised from the dead and that there's forgiveness for what he's done. And at the same time, you can see that he's afraid that maybe it's not true. And so this mixed emotion comes out of the face of Peter in this awesome depiction of these two men running to the tomb. Peter was older, so John outran him. But when John got there, John didn't go all the way into the tomb. But Peter, being impetuous, he ran right by him and went on into the tomb. And they found that there were grave clothes there, but they couldn't find Jesus anywhere because he was risen. He was out of that tomb. Now, there are some people who say, you know what probably happened? Jesus just passed out on the cross and, you know, he just swooned on the cross. And then when he got in the cool of the grave, he woke up and he came out of the grave. Man, that's one of the dumbest theories ever. And I'll tell you why. Number one, the Romans were really good at killing people. That was their job. They knew how to take somebody's life. So that's the first thing. That spear to check actually pierced probably the heart of Jesus as that spear went into his side. Jesus was dead. But second of all, even if he had woken up, there were, the tomb was sealed by a rock. If he just woke up as a normal man, there was no way he could have rolled the stone away. In fact, we calculate it had to take about 20 men to roll that stone in front of the tomb. It was very heavy, and it actually would have sat down heavily because it was notched out in front of the tomb. There was no way he could have rolled it away especially after the beating that he took and after being nailed to a cross for six hours, there is absolutely no way. Had he been able to do that on his under his own power, the Romans who were placed there, the guard that was placed there, was there under penalty of death. You let somebody come in and steal his body, or you let him somehow miraculously get out of this tomb, the Romans were going to kill these soldiers because their only detail was to make sure that dead body stayed in that grave. And so there is absolutely no way that swoon theory holds water. Another reason it doesn't hold water is because after Jesus came out of the grave, he was seen by 500 people as he at, during the time of his resurrection before he ascended to the Father. And actually, it's told to us in the New Testament, you can go check with some of them. Some of them have fallen asleep, but some of them are still, meaning died, some of them are still alive, and you can check with them. So the story doesn't end here, but I know that Peter is wondering, can it be, can it possibly be that Jesus has risen from the dead? Later in the same chapter that we just read, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 21, it says this. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Understand, they didn't just find a tomb that was empty. They found a Savior that was risen. They found one who had conquered death. You know, they'll tell you when you... when you. Uh, 
go over into the Middle East, into Israel in that area, they'll tell you that uh, Muhammad ascended to heaven from the Dome of the Rock. And, and so he was he was ascended too. But the Jewish tour guides will tell you, I've been told when you go over there, hey, I'll show you where he's buried if you want me to. Not Jesus, though. You can't find where he is buried because he is risen. Now and forevermore, he holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Jesus Christ is alive. And because Jesus Christ is alive, yeah, that's a good place for a clap. Because Jesus Christ is alive, hope is alive. And because Jesus Christ is alive, forgiveness is alive. Because Jesus Christ is alive, peace is alive. Because Jesus is alive, grace is alive. Because Jesus is alive, mercy is alive. And because Jesus is alive, our faith is alive. Or at least it should be. So we're here to praise God this morning. The tomb was empty. These guys running to the tomb to, to see what they would find there, they found that Jesus was exactly who He said He was. The divine Son of God that death could not hold down, death could not hold back. I love the song we sang this morning. Death was arrested and my life began. It was really on Easter Sunday morning when death was arrested and we can have new life through Jesus Christ. You're going to notice those who are baptized this morning in this service and then in the next service, on their shirt it says, Made New. Because literally when we come to Jesus Christ, we are made new in Him. We have been made new. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ. And so now we need to shift gears. Today's not only Easter Sunday, but it is our Baptism Sunday. And we have some folks here who have testified that that Jesus has saved them from their sins, that they have been made new. And so at this point, we want to start our baptismal service. I know I have one fellow here who's ready. If he wants to come on up. If you're here today, and I'm, I'm completely serious about this. This is no joke. This is no gimmick. You, I'm going to have you stand right there. That's cool, so we can face each other. They have to look at me and not you. That's a bad deal for them. But anyway... If, you, if there's somebody here today who says, you know what, I have placed my faith in Jesus, but I have never gone public with that faith. I have never let everybody know through the act of baptism. I'm completely serious about this. Kick your shoes off, come on down, and you can be part of this as well. You can join in what's about to happen. Sometimes y'all need to talk to Pam Shepherd. She's one of our ladies here in the church who a few years ago rededicated her life to Jesus Christ and she was baptized. And if you'll ask her, what did it feel like to be baptized? She'll tell you afterwards, I felt like I was walking on marshmallows. Which I love, that's a good way to put it, man. God does something special for us during this time. So if you're here today and you want to join in, you come right on up and we will make you part of this. Baptism candidates, what you are doing today is indeed symbolic, but it's more than that. In being baptized, you are saying that God has come into your life through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, and that by His Holy Spirit, He has made you new. You're also saying your intent is to live for Jesus Christ without ever turning back to your former life of sin. You're letting everyone know your hope for salvation is found in Jesus and only in Jesus. At this time, we want to publicly question you so we might know that your commitment to Christ is such that you are a proper person to receive the sacrament of baptism. Question number one, has God now made you new through faith in Jesus Christ? 
And does God's Holy Spirit now live in you? If so, say, I have been made new. With God's help, question two, will you strive to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself? If so, say, with God's help, I will. Do you agree to the basic beliefs of Christianity which are stated in the Apostles' Creed, which says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day, He rose again from the dead. Hallelujah. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. If you agree, please say, this I believe. believe. Having given affirmation to all the questions posed to you, we find that you are a proper person to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Congratulations. Turn and face the congregation. Congregation, round of applause for this young man. By the way, he has, he has an amazing story of how he ended up at this church. One day he's going to tell you. I'm going to have faith that God's going to use his testimony of how God brought him here to this church. We're going to go get ready for baptism. The, the worship team is going to be with you, and we'll be back with you in just a second.
give God one more hand clap of praise for this young man. Stand and I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal over you. On your way out, remember our giving boxes. Thank you for supporting this ministry. This morning is what this ministry is all about. People coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, professing faith in Him, and then shining bright in this dark world for Him for the rest of their lives. That's what we want to see happen more than anything else. Lives made new and love made visible. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You so much that Jesus has risen. And just as He was risen from that tomb, God, we thank You so much that He can rise in our lives to give us new life in Him. Father, I pray as we leave this place this morning that we will talk about what we've seen here. We will talk about what Jesus has done for us. Just as the disciples, after the day of Pentecost, went everywhere preaching the gospel, taking the good news to all people, God, we are their spiritual heirs. We are the ones who come after them and stand in that tradition of speaking the truth, the good news about Jesus. Help us to do it every day of our lives. God, we love you. We praise you. Thank you, God, that he is truly risen. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. And Rushwood said together, amen. Thank you.